Hello, and welcome to the Celebrate Libraries podcast. We're Robin and John Voiles. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Suzanne Carr-Schmidt, George Amos Poole III Curator of Rare Books and Manuscripts at Newberry Library in Chicago, Illinois. Dr. Carr-Schmidt curated the delightful pop-up books through the ages currently on view in the Newberry's Tree and Ends Galleries through Saturday, July 15, 2023. Located in the historic Near Northside neighborhood just a few blocks from Chicago's Gold Coast, Newberry Library is free and open to the public Tuesday through Saturday. The following interview is the first of two conversations highlighting the exhibition. In autumn 2023, we will publish a deeper look at specific pieces in the collection. The Newberry Project is the second in a series of videos and podcasts featuring exceptional learning centers of the Great Lakes St. Lawrence River Basin in North America. Earlier this year, Celebrate Libraries completed a profile of Maison de la Littérature, the House of Literatures, located in Quebec City, Canada, a UNESCO-designated city of literature. Dr. Suzanne Karschmidt, welcome to Celebrate Libraries. Well, it's a pleasure to be on here. We traveled from Milwaukee last week to visit the library and remarked how well attended the exhibition was. What is it about pop-up books, in your opinion, which fascinates people of all ages? Well, I, I think a lot of people had them as a child, and so there's a immediate nostalgia uh, element featured in it. And if they, do, if they don't have children, they're thinking about the ones they were given. But if they do, they, they're, they're interested in what they could share with uh, with, their, with their, their own their own kids. But uh, this particular exhibit goes back to the long, long prehistory of pop-up books. And I think that's an extra bonus in that people are learning about how far back they really do go. In the mid-1990s, book artists and paper engineers such as Robert Sabuda began producing pop-up books for a mass audience. Are we living in a golden age of the pop-up book? I'd say I'd say it comes and goes in terms of the popularity of pop-up books. Uh, there's a movable book society that, that anyone can join that has several hundred members, uh, mostly in the U.S. Uh, and Robert Zabuda is very active with them. One of the one of the objects in the show is is actually a uh, recreation he made of the earliest uh, dial or volvel from 12 1250 A.D. Uh, that was part of a, a book celebrating the long long history of them. But I think. There's not there's not really any sustained training for for paper engineers at this point. You can sort of self taught in you know book arts programs. Uh, there's 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 some funding for it, but often relating to larger uh, movie studios or uh, brands relating relating to Marvel. So you can definitely see some massive projects being done relating to uh, you know sort of big big names, but. Uh, there's also uh, not as much support for, for people just getting started. So it, like any, any industry, it sort of ebbs and flows. But there's some amazing things being made. Visitors to the exhibition will see rare books and other objects that may not fit into their preconceptions about pop-up books. What else uh, might they see, and how do these objects relate to pop-ups? Uh, the, the show is... Um, you know, it's called pop-up books through the ages, but, but really it's more about the long history of paper engineering and uh, what you know, what's known as the movable book, which really includes flaps, styles, and things that you, you cut out and, and turn into other objects, all sorts of 
interactivity, you know, including optical illusions, uh, where you, you flip through the pages and don't necessarily have, have exactly a before and after flap. Uh, our show, we also included uh, a lot of maps because the Newberry has, has an amazing collection, but also because the most, you know, the most dramatic change from a two-dimensional piece of paper to a three-dimensional paper really has always been the globe. When you make a globe, and this was started in the uh, late 15th century, you would have long strips of paper with uh, uh, tapered ends that were called globe gores, usually 12 of them uh, for for a uh, an earth or, or sky globe. And these were rolled up around a sphere and would make a 360-degree object. So you really are going from, from flat to three-dimensional in a very uh, um, dramatic way. So that's, that's one of the bigger uh, items that we, we added. We, have a, uh, uh, we made a reproduction of one of our uh, unique uh, uh, globes that will be entering the collection. And we're, we're very proud of being able to show the originals, which are unique, uh, there's only one set of them, and then the reproduction, which shows that it would be built to an object uh, seven and a third feet around. So some of these maps are very big. It's a, well, not not many pop-up books make it to that size. Yeah, that was that was incredible to see. Um, you organized the galleries by subject category and accentuated these by choices with elegant wall colors and display furniture, as well as an artistic uh, blend of ambient and direct lighting. Uh, Please speak to the organizational choices you made in, in your presentation. Absolutely. The first gallery was, was basically an introduction to the different types of movable parts. So the ball valves are rotating uh, dials uh, being one of them, uh, flaps, um, either, either correction or before and after, uh, and then the literal pop-ups where, where the uh, uh, elements in the book are jumping out at you as you open them and you're not actively moving a tab or, or, or lifting a flap in that case, uh, as, well as, uh, as well as some of the, the map elements. So that's the first room. There was also, also uh, some interactives and a, uh, a screen with video of a number of the items in the show because we really wanted to emphasize their ability to move even if we couldn't have them constantly moving in the cases uh, for conservation region, reasons. The, um, the second gallery... I, I wanted to, to mix up the chronology because it didn't make any sense to go from very early to, to modern and, and suggest that the same techniques weren't being used over and over again. In fact, it's more of a building on techniques and, uh, in, in some ways books have gotten more complicated as they, as they, uh, have gone through, through time. There, there is a, there is a chronology in the way that uh, they started out being more for adults, either for monks, scholars, uh, sometimes for nobles, a very elite audience. And then by the end of the show, they are they are meant more for for children in a more theatrical uh, kind of way. But adult adult pop up books are coming back too, so there's a little bit little bit for everyone. But I did want to include the thematic groupings because that allowed me to compare flaps. Uh, uh, they have a you know an anatomical eyeball uh, uh, from the 19th century with a 16th century broad, broadside or poster that, with uh, the figure of a body that you're supposed to add uh, little cut out uh, organs to to show whether you understand where everything goes. So there's uh, there's a lot of uh, continuation of this interactivity of this need to build it yourself uh, throughout time, and I wanted people to really understand that as they went through the show. Are all or most of the objects from Newberry Collections? Why are 
these pieces essential in telling the story presented here? Yes, there are only, there are only three uh, books in the show that do not belong to the Newberry. There were several maps that are promised gifts. So we were very, very lucky to be able to uh, draw almost entirely on the collection. I, I've been at the Newberry since March 2017, and I bought a few things to, that ended up in the show. But really, we had, we had a very strong um, basis to start with. Uh, there, for instance, the, um, the, 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 the door of the exhibition has a blown up image of a, a Valdal with a dragon, which is effectively causing an eclipse, uh, eating, eating the sun and, uh, you know, casting shadows. And, uh, the same author, uh, a German mathematician called, uh, Peter Appian, uh, also wrote a, a book that was much less, uh, dramatic as that one is his hand colored and it's very large. Uh, but we have 21 copies of the more student level edition of, of a book on, um, sort of the study of the world called, called the cosmography. So there were 21 of those in the collection and there are five different dials with moving parts in that book. So um, from that amount of focus alone, it made sense to do the show here at the Newberry. But we have, we have more modern things too. And that even though that particular book was published from 1524 to 1609, it was very, very popular at its time. Uh, the Pinocchio pop-up is given a prominent central location in the first gallery. What is the significance in the history? What is its significance in the history of pop-ups? Oh, well, it's a, it's a wonderful copy of, of this book. Uh, it's from uh, Blue Ribbon Press, and they were the first publishing company to really go all in on the term pop-up. And on the cover of the book, uh, it, it's literally called the pop-up in quotes, Pinocchio. And then at the bottom, it also mentions that the illustrator, Harold Lentz, and, uh, and, and paper engineer uh, is, is making pop-up illustrations, again, in quotes, and they, they trademarked it. So they were supposed, they're supposed to be the only ones to use it. And this is, this is the term that really stuck that people understand as being, being the type of book where, where you're going to be surprised by, by what, what comes out as you, as you flip through. Um, and it, in this case, it's we're showing the um, sort of dogfish or whale that that swallows uh, Pinocchio and his uh, long-suffering uh, father uh, Geppetto, and you can see both of them in the mouth of this this large sea beast. There were I think three other other openings in the book that had had the moving parts. Uh, the first one showed uh, Pinocchio in uh, in a nursery, leafing through a little ABC book. So it's all very very literary. But uh, for one of the former owners, in fact, we know who who it was, uh, seems to have used it so much that that the original head fell off. So we, we didn't want to show that one. But in retrospect, I think it would have been lovely to have an image in the in the gallery of of the replacement head because uh, the the original owner uh, uh, Dick Brown was was one of the VPs at at the Newbury for years. Amazing scholar, he was a scholar in residence, and uh, the book became a bequest to us. But he, he apparently kept it since when he was five, and basically into his nineties, and. Uh, so we know we know who we know who probably uh, had to replace the Pinocchio head. Let's take a break. We're Robin and John Voyles, and you're listening to the Celebrate Libraries podcast. Today we're speaking with Dr. Suzanne Carr Schmidt, George Amos Poole III, curator of rare books and manuscripts at Newberry Library in Chicago, Illinois. Dr. Carr Schmidt curated pop-up books through the ages 
currently on view in the Newberry's Tree and Ends Galleries through Saturday, July 15, 2023. Now let's return to the interview. How do you visualize the whole when planning? Do you work with a 3D computer program to determine placement of vitrines, benches, wall signage, and video screens before anything is brought from collection storage to the prepared galleries? Uh, so it depends. Sometimes we work with a, um, a physical scale model. Uh, I find that, that quite useful for case layout, so you, you can be sure not to have too many, too many items so it's still passable. Um, we did we did use a, um, a, a sort of layout uh, software. It wasn't it wasn't, it wasn't really three dimensional. Uh, you would more look at uh, the plans per wall uh, because we do, did have a fair number of, uh, of framed items as well as the cases. Uh, this was very helpful when we had to deal with there, there are three load bearing columns in the middle of the main gallery that just that won't move. So having to to think about where you could put things so that they could be seen uh, in the correct groupings depending on where people were standing in the gallery. And it, it, was, it was helpful to have that, that layout where you could shift it around. But I, I do think that um, I'm actually from a museum background. I worked at the Art Institute of Chicago for eight years before I came to the Newberry. Uh, I put you know, over a thousand prints in uh, the hallways around the second floor. And uh, sometimes you just have to see it in the, in the space. Uh, there's, there's some, there is a great benefit to be able to to you know, think on your feet as well as using the um, the models. And if it's something that's that's in a frame, it's uh, there's a little more flexibility. Do you have a favorite piece in the current exhibition? And if so, uh, which one and why? Oh, that's that's tricky. I, 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 I we're going to talk probably about the um, exhibition takeaway of the um, do-it-yourself pop-up Newberry kit. And that's my, that's definitely my favorite uh, contemporary piece. That's the most, most recent thing in the show because it was effectively completed in February of 2023. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe the whole, the whole collection of 2021 Peter Appian cosmography books is, is another, another favorite because as I, as I like to tell people, you really, it's difficult to understand what's missing or what's been what's been attached poorly uh, for a number of these books of moving parts unless you look at a very large uh, sample of them and since we have almost every edition that was published it's possible to uh, it's possible to do that I, I believe we have more copies of this book than any other library in the world in fact and those they were collected m- mainly by uh, Edward Ayer uh, a collector who is very interested in the interaction of of Europe and the Americas, and there's a there's a map in the book that that mentions America, um, in 1524, which is relatively late. But uh, he was still interested in seeing how how it was depicted and discussed. So thank you, Edward Ayer. So you started to talk about. I think uh, the piece was the pop up Newberry of 2023 by local artists Sean Sheehy and uh, Hannah Batzel. Uh, Hannah Batzel, absolutely. I. Most of most of my uh, my work has been um, you know, pre seventeen hundred. So being able to work with live artists on this uh, on this exhibition uh, for for the takeaway and and for a number of the uh, the pieces of art in it, uh, it was really really amazing. Uh, I, I had gone to a, a movable book society meeting and 
with um, and Sean is 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 the, the current director of that. But uh, one of the the activities was one of the paper engineers involved had made a double sided laser cut kit that was not constructed. And everyone who attended the conference got one and had to figure out how to put it together. And it, this is actually a you know, great saving on time and, uh, and also money because you don't, don't have to ship it out to uh, you know, China or somewhere else to have it constructed um, at, a, at a reasonable amount. So I thought, well, why not, instead of a brochure for our exhibition, uh, find uh, a paper engineer and an artist who really understand the Newberry and the collection and have them build a version of it that can be, a, you know, be an advertisement for the Newberry, but also really, really work closely with the exhibition. And once you know, people have read some of the signage in the exhibition, they'll, they'll know it's about you know, a few of the major, major techniques for paper engineering. Really all, all the, um, the pop-up requires though is, um, is removing removing the pieces that you don't need uh, using double-sided tape or, or, um, or Elmer's and, uh, and making a few folds. And then you, and then you can uh, have your, your, your little dial that, uh, that gives you day or night. And there's an entire book wheel in the middle of items that really are from the Newberry collection that can rotate through inside the windows. And uh, I just, I love going back and forth with, uh, with, with the artists on this because I didn't. I didn't ask for for a wheel. I, I just. I asked that it be you know, the Newberry as it as it could be because the the building was never fully completed. It was supposed to be a full a full square with a courtyard. And at, at one point in the, the construction, they told them to, the architect to stop. Maybe maybe because they didn't, they wanted money to buy books. I'm not sure. And there was a a rough edge on, on two of the sides where there were some arches that were supposed to either continue or turn the corner and the architect refused to finish them off nicely. Uh, maybe assuming that they'd have to complete the building if they didn't do this, but uh, they never did. Then they're actually very abstract and modern looking now to modern eyes. And uh, so that was one of the things that I absolutely, I knew we had to have to explain the building and this, this idea of it, I've heard it, 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 the building described as a brilliant failure. And I just, I, I love that. It just really says, says so much about, about the Newbury and how we you know, interact with the Chicago landscape. That's a wonderful description. A brilliant, uh, a brilliant failure, was it? Or? A brilliant failure. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the cutout uh, edges on the pop-up make it a little less stable as well. So I, 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 I feel like it's an allegory of the humanities right there. And you referred to it as a takeaway, so just it's free. for the for the audience, this is a free uh, souvenir in a way for uh, of your visit to the uh, exhibition. To the exhibition, yeah, uh, yeah. We did, we we still have we still have some left, so um, uh, they may eventually after the show make their way into the into the gift shop. But uh, yes, but they are absolutely free for anyone who wants to visit uh, through the end of the show. Are you a collector yourself? of pop-up books and engineered paper movables? If so, what are some of the titles you own? Do you have favorite authors? Um, I, I think I, mo I mostly have some, some facsimiles and a few examples of, of different techniques. I think I have, I have one page of a, of, a, of a book that has a uh, navigational ball vowel on it. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, 
systematically collect pop-up books. I've had things uh, you know, given to me over the years. In fact, one of one of uh, one of the most crowd-pleasing things about the exhibition, as it turned out, it was a shelf of uh, gently used, uh, shall we say, uh, pop-up books in the back uh, by the uh, the screen with a documentary with Sean and Hannah talking about their pop-up. Uh, and I always wanted to have some sort of set of uh, books that people could just continue breaking uh, in in the corner there. But but sometimes people will take them out and photograph them on the bench as if they were part of the exhibition. So I, I love that they're making them an extension of the experience. It's not just you know the, you know a kid who doesn't want to look at something stuck in a case anymore and goes and you know, ignore and, and ignores everything else because there's real books there. But um, but that's an option too. Yeah. No. And I think. And you know, seeing different people pick out different ones from that has been has been interesting. Um, it, it reminded me there's a my 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 mom who was a children's book book author, you know, very well respected in the you know in the 90s and early 2000s. So I don't, she never did a pop up book. Um, she brought a uh, French version of a pop up uh, Little Prince Petit Prince uh, back with her from Europe at one point and. Uh, the spine was broken and I wasn't really thinking about it until recently, but, but there was actually a note in it from customs saying that the bag had been looked at and clearly the customs agents wanted to see how the pop-ups worked so badly that they broke the binding. They opened it, they opened the book too hard. So that's actually in, that's actually in the exhibitions, which is the perfect place for, for something that has had that history of use, international history of use already. So I don't know, that's, that's maybe a, a new favorite collector item of mine and I also and I didn't put it on the shelf but I realized after going through what to bring in I apparently either bought or had been given a copy of a different book by the same publishers as the Pinocchio called uh, the pop-up Goldilocks which was from 1934 I think and this copy it was from a book, book fair. It was not in not in perfect shape by any means, but it it shows many of the same characteristics. So that was that was a lovely surprise to realize that that I that I already owned one of the the original you know quote unquote pop up books. What is the attraction to pop ups for you? Did you grow up with them? Oh, then yeah, no, I've I think I've always loved pop up books. I, I had. I think there was a Leonardo da Vinci uh, pop-up book that showed a lot of his inventions with with, you know, with tabs and moving parts that I particularly liked. Uh, probably destroyed it. Uh, yeah, it just yeah, it always made sense that that you know, books would want to do want to do more. I mean, they're already interactive, of course. You're, you're turning pages, but I, I just I've always loved how creative printing can be, and I didn't. I didn't know I wanted to to work on them as a scholar uh, necessarily until until I was in uh, in grad school and finally read a book I'd been assigned as an undergrad and was on the uh, you know Protestant history of uh, of images in in, in um, Reformation Germany and there is a image of of the Pope that you could lift a flap and it became the devil it was one of the Borgia popes so not not a very nice guy uh, not necessarily demonic but um, you know, he he had his he had his bad days, but uh, just the idea that you would, in the 16th century, make a piece of paper where you could flip between this sort of duality of different bad behaviors just, just sort of blew my mind. And 
and I wanted to start finding the other ones and, and I'm still finding new ones. So it's kind of an, you know, endless well of, uh, of printing creativity from, you know, 15th century on. Good, good. Thank you for the interview. Yes, thank you. Thank you for, ha- for having me. Thank you, Dr. Karschmidt, for taking the time to speak with us about the exhibition Pop-Up Books Through the Ages, currently on view in Newberry Library's Trianens Galleries through Saturday, July 15th, 2023. We're Robin and John Voyles, and this is the Celebrate Libraries podcast. Today, we interview Dr. Suzanne Karschmidt, George Amos Poole III Curator of Rare Books and Manuscripts at Newberry Library in Chicago, Illinois. Links to Newberry exhibition videos may be found on the Celebrate Libraries website. The Celebrate Libraries podcast is available from most major audio streaming services. Thank you for listening, and please join us again.